Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. We live at a time where everyone, it seems, wants to be a genius or to uh, turn their children or friends into geniuses. We even have a president who famously claims to be what he said, what he claims to be as as a very stable genius. Very few people, though, really know much about genius. Uh, But my guest today on the show, Craig Wright, is the author of The The Hidden Habits of Genius. That was not a very genius kind of uh, way of saying that. Craig is a a former professor at Yale University. He's a musicologist. He's a PhD. I don't know whether that's connected with his genius. Uh, And his new book is a really interesting investigation of of what it means uh, to be a genius, The Hidden Habits. So, Craig, um, what are the hidden habits of genius? Uh, well, first of all, Andrew, I got to issue a disclaimer here. I'm no genius. I, I tell my kids I've just written a book on genius, and, and they think that's the funniest darn thing that they've ever heard. You, you're not a genius. You're a plotter. And, and they're absolutely right. I, I, I am a plotter. So, uh, but I have plotted ahead and, and written this uh, book. Um, and it oh, does. Craig, uh, isn't it fair to say, though, that one of the things you argue in your book is that plodders are in their own way geniuses? Or if you are <laughs> going to be a genius, you also have to be a plodder. Yeah, maybe I should give them more credit than I'm giving myself here. And the, the longer you plod, the closer you get to the get to the goal. That's what I'm sort of finding out in life. I think I can really do more as I figure out what my passion is and what my abilities are. But it takes a it takes a long period of time. We could we could get into that. Uh, we could start by saying what is genius. We could uh, define this. So I'd love to spend t- twenty minutes talking about whether our current president is a genius. I, I, don't, think it would take, I don't think that would take twenty minutes, Greg. I think that would take about <laughs> twenty seconds. Okay. Perhaps re- revising the question. Um, you, you, you put a lot of work and thought into into your new book. Why should we care about genius? And why do so many people want to be geniuses? Isn't that a rather absurd notion? I don't think they want to be geniuses. You know, I've got this class and I still continue to teach it, even Professor Emeritus at Yale. And I asked my kids at the beginning of class, how many of you want to be geniuses? And some of them raise their hands, some some of them don't. I asked them at the end of the course, how many of you now want to be geniuses? And far fewer uh, raise their hands. I'm not sure that they want to be geniuses. I think people just want to know, how's the magic done? I mean, in a strange way, it's a bit bit like religion. How does this happen? What's going on here? What causes all this? Again, how does it happen? So people are curious. They want to know how that magic trick is done. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. I'm no genius, but I spent a lot of time being no, not a genius, watching geniuses um, and uh, observing things. Craig, what's newsworthy about the book? There have been, of course, lots of books about genius. Um, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a bestseller about it. What are you saying that other people haven't said before? 
I think I've really looked at it. I think I've looked at it in greater detail than anybody else. I can't, I mean, there are, there's Gladwell's book, there's a fine book by Darren um, McMahon on uh, history of genius, but his attitudes about genius over time. I really looked at this and studied this carefully and thought about this in terms of four children and seven grandchildren and been kind of living this for 15 years. And what's happened, at the, I, I was asked by trade publishers in New York to write, in effect, a how-to book. Um, you know, this can change, as you were suggesting, This read my book and it'll change your life in six easy steps or something like that. As an academic, I would be laughed off the uh, campus if I ever wrote anything like that. The, this, the story ended up being, I did write a book like that. And the absolutely astonishing thing is, and this is not just hype, it really changed my not just book selling hype here. It really changed my life uh, uh, diametrically. All the things I was telling my kids to do and, and thinking about how I act and things like that, it really, it really caused me to do and think things very differently than I uh, did and have done since I began the research for this book. I don't want to sound stupid, uh, uh, Craig, although, of course, I always do sound stupid. <laughs> A particularly stupid thing to say, but I read your 14 Hidden Habits of Genius, and uh, maybe it's because, like Trump, I'm a bit of a narcissist, but it seemed with those 14 Hidden Habits, I could be a genius. It's not that hard to be a genius with your 14 Hidden Habits, is it? Well, I'm not sure that any of us can actually make ourselves into a genius. I think we can just figure, watch what the geniuses do and apply it to our every everyday life. Uh, if you list them, it doesn't sound that difficult. Uh, okay, you got to be passionate. You have to be curious. Work ethic. We all work ethic. Uh, yeah, okay. But there, there's, there's some unexpected yeah, we're things. We have passion. Right. Uh, we're rebellious. We're contrarians. We're obsessive. We're relaxed. I mean, these are all buzzwords of the 2020s. Well, welcome to my world of the trade publishing house. Um, but uh, but I think there is some truth here. And I think there are things that, that I realize that nobody else has realized. Um, here's a question for you, Andrew. Since um, since this is all well known, I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, where are the two places? Yeah. Two, no, 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 no. You ask me a question, I get to ask you one back. Um, where are the two places that all geniuses always move? You mean physical towns? It, it, physical places. Physical, what kind of places do they move to? Uh, Mountaintops, seaside resorts? Uh, Time's up. Paris okay. and villages. What? Paris and... Paris, stop right there. They move to large metropolitan regions. Name a genius who hasn't done that. Now, admittedly, Darwin's got to sail around the Galapagos for five years, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, George O'Keefe, she needs the light of, uh, and maybe uh, of, of New Mexico. Uh, Van Gogh goes down to Arles um, because he needs the light, et cetera, et cetera. But they all move. They move to Paris. They move to New York. They move to London, et cetera, et cetera, depending upon the age in which that particular city has happens to be the sinister of great minds. All the great minds are coming in there. More recently, the last 20 years, has been out to the metropolis of Silicon Valley. Um, but that's where they, or they go to a university. Sometimes the university is located in a, in, in a metropolitan area, like Stanford is, is in the center of Silicon Valley, but that's where they go. They make themselves lucky by moving to the one places. So take away here, don't be reluctant, move. Well, you've heard it first here on the Keenon Show. If you want to be a genius, move. Uh, 
I'm curious, Craig, in a sense, your book is about, if not the democratization of genius, the idea that we can all be geniuses with a bit of work, maybe not so much your book, but there are a lot of books out there. Uh, as I said, the early 21st century is an age where we, perhaps one of our, our faiths is this faith in the democratization of genius. You're a musicologist, of course which I'm assuming is one of the reasons why you're attracted by the subject of genius. In the 19th century, genius wasn't democratized. You know a great deal, of course, about this man, uh, Beethoven, mm -hmm. distinguishes 19th century geniuses like Beethoven or late 18th century geniuses like Beethoven and early 21st century geniuses like Steve Jobs. That's an interesting way of framing the issue. Um, I'm not sure that there's all that much difference between them. They were both rebellious, um, outrageous, extremely unpleasant. They have actually not a thing about. It. They have a lot, uh, a lot in common. They um, uh, tended to uh, behave in very unfortunate ways. They followed this inner vision. They were not well uh, traditionally well educated in. They were not well educated in any sort of traditional uh, way. Beethoven couldn't multiply or divide. Steve Jobs got out of high school with a 2.65 GPA. Dropped out of Reed, Reed College. There's a lot of a lot of similarities here, but they 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 saw something. You know, what's the famous Schopenhauer uh, quote? Uh, a person of talent hits a target that no one else can hit. A person of genius hits a target that no one else see could see. Uh, they could see things that other people or hear things in the case of Beethoven that other people could not, and they had the courage, the fortitude to pursue that relentlessly. Is the model, the, shall we say, excuse the pun, the platonic model of genius, that of that man? We don't actually know if that is what he really looked like. He claimed to be very ugly. Socrates. Was Socrates the, the founding father, and I use that word carefully, in the canon of Western genius? Well, do you mean he was the first one? I suppose the guy that invented a wheel might be the first. Well, he was the first one who was presented. He was sort of fetishized by Plato as a genius. Right, right, yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, fair enough. The, the odd thing is, though, that that's not how they would have thought of genius in the day. They would not have considered Plato a genius. Uh, they would have considered someone like Homer a genius, somebody that... Socrates, not only as a genius, but as a martyr, someone who died in the name of truth. Yeah, but that's a little bit different than calling him a genius. I think they, they had genius meant something different to the Greeks than than what it means to us today. A genius was something that sat out, a genie that sat outside your shoulder and did good things for you. And if you lit, uh, like we do today, we still have a birthday cake with a candle on it. We make a vote of offering to the genius because that genie may do great things for us in the course of the year. That's how they were thinking of genius. They respected these people as followers of truth. They admired them. But what they called a genius in that day, we would call them these people geniuses because they changed the world. We still study Plato and philosophy classes in university. But they did not call um, Socrates a genius. They call, called him a, a philosopher, which in a sense was the highest calling. It's interesting, as, as we're speaking now, it occurs to me that the idea of genius seems to, if not die, it goes into hibernation between the classical <laughs> and the early modern age. Do you think? 
that was well, it just got it got got co-opted by the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. Do you think in ages of great religiosity, the notion of genius becomes itself heretical, irreligious, because it challenges the idea of God? I think it does. I think it's a humanistic religion. It ta it takes it out of the so-called spiritual realm and brings it into the human realm. I try to have that discussion with my students at Yale. They don't want to go there, and I've never quite figured out why. It's I guess because religion is a very personal, personal thing. But it, it's always seen. You don't get geniuses at Yale, do you, Craig? What? Yeah. I, I get I get very hard, talented, hardworking uh, students who have, but not not necessarily potential geniuses. They can show up anywhere. <laughs> The issue of hard work, though, and genius, I think, is is intimately bound up. You argue about that in your book. You bring up Zola. Let me show you somebody else who, in my view, was a genius, partly because the quality of his work was remarkable, but partly because he wrote so much. This is um, an image of, of Balzac. He wrote over 100 novels. God knows how he did it. Pre-typewriter, pre-computer. What is the relationship between hard work and genius? Gladwell spends a lot of time on this. Well, it again, it's back to nature versus nurture. Hard work is is self-regulating in a sense. They're all passionate. They all do it. But and I could give you and I got a whole page. I could start reading you quote out of quotes starting with Michelangelo down through Mozart. All all of them. They tend to downgrade the importance of natural gift. And up because they were given that what they want to do is foreground their own contribution. I'm great because I worked hard. So they all say they were extremely hardworking. Um, you know, it's like the old Ohio State offense, three yards in a cloud of dust. You just get up every day, you go to work. And there's a reason. One of the things you said, what what you implied, what's this guy got original book? Here's something I'll tell you that's original. They all have a they all have a habit, and the habit is they go to work at the same place. Uh, at the same time every day. Now that place could be for each of these people could all be very different, um, but it's always the same thing every day because it it gets them in there, it gets them uh, focused on what they have to do because they have no other alternative. I'm here now. What am I going to do? My choices have been already made for me. Shall I go over here today? Walk? What time am I going to do this? Choices are made. You get in there, and once you're there, you can't quit. So what else are you going to do? Well, I'm here now. I might as well get get to work. So having a regular work habit, I think, is another way of, um, of, of building a work ethic. It reinforces a work ethic. I wonder if that regular work habit, though, um, applies to some of the geniuses we consider of our age, particularly creative geniuses. Um, this guy seems to me, and I'm particularly intrigued with what you say as a musicologist, Bob Dylan, of course, is the resident genius of American popular music. He also won the Nobel Prize for Literature. Um, he certainly isn't consistent either in terms of his work habits or even his career. It's, it's been made up of stumbles, of starts, of moments of genius, of moments of crisis. What does the career and achievements and quote-unquote genius of, of Dylan tell us about the hidden habits of genius, Craig? Well, he's not my favorite go-to person. In my personal opinion, I think he's hugely overrated. Uh, there are other in more interesting people in the popular music oh, field. Yeah. field, I, field I, I, I invited you on my show. Why would you say that? 
uh, the reasons I just articulated. I think he's hugely overrated. I've never found his music particularly innovative. If I want innovative music, I'll go listen to the Beatles. I, I, if I want contemporary poetry that's going to speak to me, I'll go listen to Kanye West. Um, so I think there are better people out there, to be perfectly honest and push back here, uh, Andrew, but that's why we're having this show. Uh, <laughs> Have you listened to Blood on the Tracks? Uh, no, to be perfectly honest, I don't know that. Wow. So, so Andrew won Craig nothing in, in this particular round. Interesting, Andrew won Craig nothing. There's certainly something very male about geniuses. Here we have two old white guys arguing about you the it. Yeah, you're right. Of another white guy. All we've spoken about, and this is my fault, I'm not blaming you. All we've spoken about so far is Socrates and Steve Jobs and Beethoven and Balzac. Uh, there are, of course, female geniuses <laughs> I want you to talk about. But before we do that, is there something male about this idea of genius, this solitary figure out there fighting fashion, fighting convention? <laughs> that's, that's the archetype. And why, why do we see the genius that way? Because males set the rules and males write the histories. And that's why we've seen it that way. Um, I, as you may know, looking at that book, I have an entire chapter. I could open it up here. Uh, it's called uh, Genius and Gender, The right. Game is Rigged. Genius right. and Gender, The Game is Rigged. And I spend a lot of time talking about the picture of Toni Morrison. I don't know if you identified her or not, but there she is. Um, and talk about a lot of other geniuses. Uh, the, the takeaway here is, uh, that's the way the argument has been framed in uh, our concept of in the philosophy and the history of genius because males have written the rules of the game of genius and males have written the account and sometimes they even change the rules after the game is over if the woman has won. They'll give, uh, they'll attribute the paintings of Artemisia Gentileschi to a male painter. They'll uh, destroy all of the statuary of uh, Hatshepsut, uh, the, the famous uh, Egyptian female, Egyptian pharaoh. So on and on and on we could go about the, uh, this uh, on this point. But you're absolutely right. It's considered to be a male um, bastion. However. Did you notice uh, very recently, and I will say just today, I don't know when you're going to broadcast this, that, uh, and the day before yesterday, uh, Winter, one of the shares of physics, um, a, a lady uh, in physics that helped um, uh, nail down the fact that uh, Alfred Einstein and his theory of general relativity uh, does lead to black holes. Uh, most exciting for me was the announcement today that Jennifer Doudna at Berkeley, um, uh, a, uh, a biologist there, um, molecular biologist there, had won the Nobel Prize in chemistry. I, that was actually predicted in my book on a tip that one of my colleagues gave me there. He said, watch this, because this is going to be the next Nobel Prize, and went to Jennifer Doudna uh, at Berkeley. So the game is changing. It's just a question over time. We've got to set a level playing field, get everybody in the game, and not change the rules once the game is on. The game is indeed changing, Craig, um, as you've explained just now and brilliantly in your book, the game of genius change from the, the male genius of the 19th century to the, the female genius of the 21st century. Do you have any predictions about the future of genius in the later part of the 21st century, particularly the impact of artificial intelligence and perhaps of the generational aspect? Will we fetishize children more as geniuses or machines? How will we think about genius perhaps in a century's time at the beginning of the 22nd century? 
Uh, Andrew, as I hope I said very clearly at the beginning of this discussion, I am no genius. There are Those are areas that I have no expertise in, and it would be um, illegitimate of me to try to opine on those particular subjects. So to not to, not to be a poor guest here, but I ain't going to go there. I'm looking for illegitimacy, though, Craig. I'm <laughs> in there. You have... No, uh, again, coming back to this uh, area of genius, of in intuition, any sense? Well, okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, in the sciences, it's clearly all shifting over the genius of the team. There's so much information that you have to, you have to, you have to control that no one individual uh, can control it. You know, back in the day, they used to give the Nobel Prize just to one person. Now, and it was kind of surprising, they gave it to just two people in chemistry. I thought the reason they delayed was, my information on that was, the reason they were delaying is they couldn't figure out who to, whom to give it to because there are about 10 people in the running. So now we've got this COVID virus. We've got AstraZeneca out there. We've got Moderna. We've got Merck, Johnson & Johnson. You never hear about genius so-and-so at these companies. You hear about those labs. So the, um, the, the genius of the team, the genius of the lab is taking over what um, traditionally the genius had been. It's a necessity born of all of the information that the internet has put at our disposal. I think... We, we proved that both uh, in practice because you claimed as an individual not to be a genius, but I teased some genius out of you. So maybe <laughs> no genius will go to not to, um, to, uh, to, to Craig Wright or Andrew Keene, but to the, the Wright Keene team. Uh, Craig, you are in Sarasota, Florida. I'm in Berkeley in these weird times. In addition to your marvelous new book, um, uh, the Hidden Habits of Genius, very important and interesting, scholarly, but um, uh, accessible. Uh, what else should people be reading in these strange times? Here's a writer that I really appreciate. There's a, I'm as shocked, actually, to be honest with you, Andrew, all of the poorly written books that get published. Can't these people write? Look, if I'm a failed classical pianist, can't people write better than this? Can't they think? Can't they come up with a contrarian idea or a clever thought or a clever to, you know, give, give me a, a, a paragraph that begins with one word or two words. Give me an auto da fe at the end of that paragraph. It's like they don't think about about this as art. So that's that's too bad. Here is an author that I really like. He's written a couple of books, one on the Chicago World's Fair, uh, and most recently, The Splendid and the Vile. His name is Eric Larson. It's not only that the subject, it's cinemagraphic, the way he writes. He's got three streams going at once, and he bounces from this to this to this, and he knows how to in integrate these various um, storylines all at once. It's well-written. It's fascinating reading. It's the story of Winston Churchill and the Battle of Britain. I strongly recommend it recommended the splendid and the vile you've been listening to keen on hosted by me andrew key make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in itunes stitcher spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. 
Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at Lit Hub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.